the more you need to, um, um, the more structure you, the more particular you have to be about what kind of structure you institute. Um, we have about five more minutes on this. Um, does any of our other panelists wanna wanna respond to that or 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 um, have any ideas about that? I do, and I completely agree with you. And in my sort of wanderings through my political life, uh, I really wanted to understand leadership because I wasn't really learning about it through feminist channels. And the places that you land when you really want to learn about this are, there's two, one is corporate America and the other is the military, because these are people who actually understand leadership because they believe in it. And they understand that you always have to be training people to be leaders to get them to do their best um, inside these organizations. And even if we think that they're up to very evil purposes, they really understand leadership. And so one of the books that I found about this, um, they go through the different types of leadership power. And I found this really interesting because the very first one is coercive power and that's based on fear. And that's the one we all hate. So when we have these sort of knee jerk reactions against the concept of leadership, this is why, is because we're all used to trying to live our lives underneath you know, all these different kinds of coercive fear, that kind of power is the bad thing. That's the thing that we're trying to change as feminists. And that's why I think there's like this automatic, oh no, we can't have any structure. We can't have any leaders. It's always gonna be this terrible experience for us because in our lives, it often is a terrible experience. So I get that. But then they go through all these other different kinds of leadership. And this, these are the things that we should be encouraging in each other. So they have connection power that's based on your links with other people, your expert power that's based on your skills and your knowledge, like you know what you've developed in yourself, what you've learned to do, um, your information power that's based on your access to different kinds of information, legitimate power that's based on your position that you naturally got just by doing things in a group and being good at it. Um, your referent power, and that's based on your personal traits. So maybe you are a natural public speaker. Maybe you are a really good musician. Maybe you're um, really good with small children. Like you could have anything, but that just comes with who you are. And then finally reward power, and that's based on rewards, pay, promotion, or other kinds of recognition. And I just found that really eye-opening. I mean, you can read entire volumes that people have written about how to develop this in your people, that your job as a leader is to make other people leaders. And I think when we can present this better to feminists, you know, they respond better. Like, oh yeah, you're right, we should be doing this. This is a thing that we would all be better for having both as a movement and then for us as individuals, because it, whether you like it or not, women are gonna do this because we're human and groups will naturally default to this. So if we have a path to train each other and how to be better at it, then everybody can realize that, that I actually do have these skills and we can develop that in each other. And then we all get to be leaders and then we have a stronger movement. Uh, are there uh, I mean, any uh, other comments yeah, before we move on to trashing? Yeah. Go on, yeah. Sheila, you go. Yeah, can I just say something about responsibility? I think there is a problem that anybody can set themselves up supposedly, particularly now with entrepreneurial feminism. They can set themselves up um, on the internet and become supposed stars and say what they like, and then they're seen as the feminists and understood as such, with no responsibility to anything called a movement. That's because we don't have a movement now. 
Uh, we did in the UK in the 70s. Uh, we had the Women's Liberation Workshop, which was you know, set up in about 1970. And then we had annual conferences at which demands of the movement were created. We had a national newsletter. Um, <clears throat> the conferences stopped in 1978. But certainly I have always had, and I think or many of us did, a sense of responsibility to a movement. So when you speak, you are responsible to other women. You're not going off and saying whatever you like about whatever you like, because the movement will be affected, feminism will be affected by what you say. And I absolutely consider that to be the case now. And I say, you know, I say in the beginning of penal imperialism that I'm responsible to a movement and it's wonderful to have a movement again and so on. And certainly in everything I say, I'm conscious of the effect it will have and how some kind of movement will respond to it. Um, I think there may be quite a few women who do not feel that way, who just, for whom feminism is just a personal career. Um, in a way, in a way now, particularly as it didn't used to be before. So I do think responsibility is important. Yeah, I mean, I and it just I agree with all of that. And the point I was going to make is I read this tyranny of structurelessness and I tried to implement it in an organisation, which was a collective magazine for young women, which ran for about four years. And it was really frustrating um i think it's a really good paper but i think it's really it puts a lot of pressure on the person who does all the work which in that case was me and i ended up having these i think it's really useful to know about the tyranny of structurelessness but it's also this this aspiration that members equal members should have uh equal access to resources now what exactly is a member in if you're a, a group of women who maybe one or two of you are doing all the work and then a couple of people turn up once every two weeks and tell you what they think should be the editorial line there's a whole load of questions there that are not really fleshed out and I think what I did is I I read this with a real really sort of very open mind tried to implement as much as I could of it but I think that it's unrealistic given how few resources we've gotten, also how we're all motivated by different things. There are loads of women who would come to our uh, feminist magazine to uh, find a girlfriend, which is great, but they were not at all interested in balancing the books, or selling advertising, distributing the paper. And a lot of them came to learn skills and then wanted to just be a journalist. And a lot of them did learn loads of skills of my work and a few of our work and then use it to go on and be journalists. And they didn't have very particularly interesting politics. So I sort of think recognizing that we're all, we, we are all motivated differently. And I think that knowing what you want out of things, because I sort of refused to be, I, I decided I'm not gonna do what Joe Freeman's aspirations were because I'm not motivated by having a structure which helps loads of people fulfill their own ambitions and I'm motivated by the politics so I think there's a real sort of there's it's very complicated but you need to work out what you you what we individually are prepared to do and like Sheila's point about uh, I you know be really committed to what you're committed to which in many of us cases the politics um but uh, bearing in mind that the organization itself doesn't necessarily mean much because it could just be self-promotion of, or it could end up being a lesbian group, which is fine, but it's not what I wanted to set up. 
Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, the other thing worthy of mention is that there was a women's movement back then. Um, and within 10 years that had kind of fallen apart um, by the 80s, even at least here in the US. <clears throat> Hopefully we'll get one again. Um, and one of the things we've been mentioned that kind of leads nicely to the next paper is, is, um, is interactions between women. And she talks about that and trashing the dark side of sisterhood. And um, I've skipped over a couple of slides. You can put the slides back up and go ahead a couple, Joe, um, to, to trashing, trashing the dark side of sisterhood. Um, uh, next slide, next slide, next slide, next slide. There you go. Um, trashing the dark side of sisterhood. And I have seen um, women on, you know, three different sides of, of an argument um, post this um, saying, see, this is what happened. I've been trashed. Um, so that there are a lot of definitions of trashing. Um, but she talks about trashing the dark side of sisterhood um, and, and um, talks about having been trashed and noting that I had survived my youth because I had never given anyone or any group the right to judge me, that right I had reserved to myself. But the movement seduced me by its sweet promise of sisterhood. <clears throat> it claimed to provide a haven from the ravages of a sexist society, a place where one would be understood. It was my very need for feminism and feminists that made me vulnerable. I gave the movement the right to judge me because I trusted it. Um, Lierre. <laughs> I know you uh, find that quote interesting. Yeah, it, uh, there's always this question about what is trashing and what is not, right? And in my life, what I've tried to do really since I was pretty young was always, you know, if you have a problem, it's like critique the ideas. You don't name the woman if you possibly can, because it's just not helpful to go after somebody as an individual. Right, and I, I think probably all of us here have had this done to us where, you know, I as these women who are just like, oh, I hate Lierre. I'm like, you don't even know me. Like, how could you possibly hate me? Like, it just seems so crazy. But on the other hand, uh, you know, she's clearly having some kind of reaction to something I've said. So if you have a problem with one of my ideas, that's fine. I'm always happy to dialogue about whatever the idea is. I'm, I'm pretty certain about what I believe. But I'm also really happy to engage in conversation because I find it fun. Like I actually like doing that intellectually. It's the only way that you get challenged and the only way you can change your mind and learn new things and all of that. I don't want to stagnate. That's not a good place to be. So I'm always happy to have those discussions, but you have to take it out of the realm of the personal. And when that personal stuff comes in, like, I just don't get it. Like, why would you go around saying, I hate woman X when you've literally never even met her? And yet, especially with the internet, that has just unleashed this whole other realm of this kind of destructive, it's like venom, but it's very, um, it's clearly quite addictive to all of us. And I've read all that stuff about social media and like the race to the bottom of the brainstem and the way that this just has opened up this, you know, the, there's a, an endorphin rush that comes with the anger and the amygdala and that rage that we feel toward each other. And then you turn the thing off and you're like, what was I even doing? Like, I don't even know this woman. Why would I say these things? So I think you're better off not saying them um, and just trying to keep it as much as possible in the realm of, are these things we agree about? Can we discuss them? Where's the disagreement? Why do you feel so strongly about this? Um, especially intra-movement. Like, it's a little different when we're talking about our actual enemies. Let's remember, those are men. 
right? And there's always a few women hangers on, but really it's men as a class, we get this. Um, there's no reason to treat each other in this way. It's just so destructive. So that's what I have yeah. to say. I mean, this is, and this is, keep in mind, we're talking about publicly trashing. I mean, it's not saying, you know, oh gosh, to a friend, it's like, I'm worried about Lierre. She really went off the rails the other day when we were talking about what kind of tea to drink. Um, you know, and she's usually pretty rational. We're not, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about, you know, somebody who's normally like really on target. I'm worried, but we're talking about publicly, you know, making a big deal out of what kind of tea she drinks or anything else. Um, next slide, um, Joe, and then I want to ask you and Sheila a couple of. Uh, I think the previous one, go back to the previous one. I think we skipped one. Here we go. Achievement or accomplishment of any kind would seem to be the worst crime. Do anything that every other woman secretly or otherwise feels she could do just as well. And you're in for it. You're immediately labeled a thrill-seeking opportunist, a ruthless mercenary out to make her fame and fortune over the dead bodies of selfless sisters who have buried their abilities and sacrificed their ambitions for the greater glory of feminism. Um, well, that's a that's a, a handful. Um, what do you think about that, um, Joe? Mute myself. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, on that trashing thing, I think that it's a very useful paper, um, partly because it, she's saying that there are the, there's the trashing for success and, uh, you know, if you've achieved something, and then there's also the ways that the trashing occurs, which is denunciation or ostracism, false reports, um, and that there's the attack uh, very much on who you are. And what I've found is really useful is to, unfortunately, uh, to just assume it's going to happen. So when I go to feminist meetings, I normally, um, like if I'm taking along a friend who's new or somebody who's new to a feminist meeting, I'll, I'll, I'll say, look, this is what normally happens is I normally brace myself for somebody to come and attack me or say something really bad about somebody who I think is perfectly reasonable, but to do some trashing and ostracism. So the other the other form of uh, trashing that she identifies as being ostracized, and that's more likely in, well, certainly in the British women's movement, um, the radical feminists tend to be ostracized and just pretending we just don't exist. It's just like we, we just absolutely um, large portions of the women's movement um, just just don't notice that we're doing anything and that sort of like being excluded um i think i think this is a great paper because if we understand what's behind it and that it happens it's much easier to cope with you just think right although this is going to be tough i'm going to carry on uh you know i'm really committed to this feminist action and politics and unfortunately we haven't got beyond it and also it's what not to do like we should not be doing so having you know knowing these things we don't want to do those to other women. So I think there's there's those three things. Can you put the slide back on, Joe? Somebody um, sure. wanted to take a look at that quote again. Um, someone in the chat. There it is. Um, and move on to the next one because that kind of uh, follows um, 
fairly quickly. To do something significant, to be recognized, to achieve, is to imply that one is making it off other women's oppression or that one thinks oneself better than other women. Though few women may think this, too many remain silent while the others unsheath their claws. Um, expression. The quest for leaderlessness that the movement so prizes, and that goes back to uh, tyranny of structurelessness, the movement so prizes has more frequently become an attempt to tear down those women who show leadership qualities than to develop such qualities in those who don't. Many women who have tried to share their skills have been trashed for asserting that they know something others don't. The movement's worship of egalitarianism is so strong that it has become confused with sameness. Um, ha have you found that, I mean, to be found that pretty regularly, Sheila? I mean, is that something that... Yes, yes. I think, um, I think there was this problem certainly in the 70s, and it may be with new women coming into feminism now, that they're not used to women showing skills and standing out and so on. And they have themselves felt very put down and very much not in a position to even have any skills. So they can um, be hostile to the demonstration of these skills. I do remember back in about 1978, the first moment when I became, I think, aware that I had become a public person and therefore lost control of the way I was related to because of, I hadn't really written much then, but I was saying lots of things in meetings and so on. And a woman said to me, women told me how I was being regarded and how I was being spoken of. And somebody said, you know, in Wales, women are saying this about you, Sheila. And that always felt like a blow to the stomach. The fact that I wasn't responsible for who I was, that others were saying things about me I couldn't control. And one woman in Women Against Violence Against Women told me, or I think more than one, that I was being followed by other women who were sheep, who were following me. And it wasn't because I said anything reasonable or good that they might agree with me. It was characterized um, in that way. And even today it happens that women who are my friends will tell me, they'll send me Facebook messages saying, um, you're being really attacked in this group I'm in, Sheila, but I'm standing up for you. And what happens is I just feel kicked in the stomach because I don't want to think, I don't want to know, and if in fact it is the case, that women are saying very hostile things about me in various places. Now, in fact, of course, yes, in a perfect world, what would be discussed are the ideas and very often it's the ideas that women don't agree with, but they won't disagree with those ideas. They will attack the person. And in the 70s, we were very aware of that process um, and we called it personal attacks. So in the newsletters that we had, uh, national or London newsletters, there were always, there was always a strong policy against personal attacks, which meant that you, could, uh, you couldn't attack the woman you could only discuss the ideas. It was a very, very firm policy. So all sorts of things might be going on outside and in friendship groups and so on. But in those public forums, there were no personal attacks. That's absolutely not the case now. Social media has gone way beyond all of this and made it possible to do terrible attacks. And that's what happens, unfortunately. So we're in you know, a, a bit of um, a lawless world out there with social media where those very important principles cannot really be applied. Yeah, I, you know, I was, um, when I was a kid, I was, I was really bullied. I was really, really bullied. Um, and so developed a, a pretty thick skin and I'm not saying that's the way to do it. Um, but I am very, very, and I have sort of a 
logical approach, think the Vulcans, um, that I, when people say things, I genuinely, truly, absolutely don't care. I mean, I really, truly don't, unless I am very much aware that this is someone who would not be saying something um, unless there was a, a real legitimate reason for saying it. And, and if it's trashing, um, then they're, then they're off the rails. Um, so, and I don't know how to, how to, you know, have anybody develop that, but I just kind of like placidly and doggedly like a, like a dog that's just, you know, going about its business and keeps walking like one of Lear's big dogs genuinely kind of just don't care. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I don't know that that's healthy or not healthy, but it certainly keeps me at peace. Um, have you, um, how do you react Lear, when you get that kind of criticism that's unjustified and maybe even from people who like, it's just like, why do I care what this person is saying? Um, and then, and you need to know when you should care what the person is saying and when you should. 99% of the time, this, that kind of stuff is utterly useless. Like there's never a good intent behind it, honestly. And the best thing to do is just walk away from it as hard as you can. And yeah. the best advice that I have given to sort of other women who, you know, maybe have just written a book or for some reason are in the public eye and have never really been it there before is like, never read the comments. Just don't read the comment. You know, like you can read the main thing if you want, do not read the comments. It, they, it will destroy you for days. And then it gets addictive because you keep wanting to get better. Like, okay, eventually this, and it doesn't get better. Like the more you read, the worse you're going to feel until you finally decide that you're either going to kill yourself or turn it off. So just don't even start down that pathway because it never helps. And I cannot stand it when women send me those messages. Oh, you're being trashed over on this group. I don't want to know. There's nothing I can do about this. None of this is useful information. These women don't know me. They don't care about me. And they don't even have anything reasonable to say about whatever my position is. Because if they had a reasonable position, they wouldn't be over there in that Facebook group saying stupid shit about me. So don't tell me about it. And they always bring this to you like, oh my God, you need to know. I don't need to know. Unless someone's making a threat to my life, I don't need to know. And also, why are you in this group? If this is how they're all behaving, you're going to feel better if you walk away from these people. And that's like part of it is if, you know, if everybody on the internet is doing this or all the people in your internet circle are doing this, you really do need better friends because this is not productive behavior and it's going to make you feel bad over time because it's not healthy to behave this way toward other women. It really isn't. It's not a, that kind of weird jealousy and like feeding off that destruction. I get that it's got an addictive quality to it, but it doesn't make you feel good at the end of the day because it's not helpful. And I just, I'm going to say one more thing. I remember years ago, I went and I heard um, Gloria Steinem speak and I didn't go to hear her speak. I went to hear Catherine McKinnon speak, but they were, it was a double billing. And I actually realized that I had kind of a snotty attitude about Gloria Steinem. I was like, oh, I'm going to go hear the radical feminist. Catherine McKinnon, who of course has betrayed us now, but um, you know, I didn't, I was like, oh, Gloria, she's just kind of a liberal, like, eh, she's not really my thing, but whatever, I'm, you know, I'll hear her. So I went and then Gloria Steinem was actually the one who said the thing that really affected me. I still remember it because there was this really brilliant moment where she said, sort of on this topic, she said, look, men in groups destroy the weak one, women in groups destroy the strong one. And that's what keeps the whole system going, meaning patriarchy. 
And I just thought that was brilliant. Because she's absolutely yeah. right. That's exactly what happens. I know. So part of it is this. This is how women have been socialized to tear each other down so that it's, you know, crabs in a bucket. So it's, none of us go anywhere. And so when I remember that, it really helps me just personally, emotionally to be like, they're just doing that thing again that women have been trained to do. I'm not going to stop them, but I also don't have to let it kill me today. I'm turning it off. I'm just going to go pet the dogs and get something useful done. And if women can see that I do useful things and they want to be part of what I'm doing, the good women will join. They'll see that we have a healthy thing going and they'll want to be part of it. And the others, we just have to leave behind. Freeman addresses that. Put the next quote up, um, Joe. Um, she says that uh, not all women or women's organizations trash, at least not to the same extent. It's much more prevalent among those who call themselves radical than among those who don't. I'm not sure if that's true now, but it was true at the time. Um, among those who stress personal changes than among those who stress institutional ones. Among those who can see no victories short of revolution than among those who can be satisfied with smaller successes. And among those in groups with vague goals than those in groups with concrete ones. Um, next slide, Joe. Um, and she does address why, why this happens. Um, because most women are surrounded by men who may have learned it is not wise to attack. Their rage is also, women's rage is often turned inward. The movement is teaching women to stop this process, but in many instances, it has not provided alternative targets. Um, you know, women attack strong women when we need to be attacking men. Um, while the men are distant and the system too big and vague, when the sisters are close at hand, attacking other feminists is easier and the results can be more quickly seen than by attacking amorphous social institutions. People are hurt, they leave. One can feel the sense of power that comes from having done something. Um, trying to change an entire society is a very slow, frustrating process in which gains are incremental, rewards diffuse, and setbacks frequent. It is not a coincidence that trashing occurs most often and most viciously by those feminists who see the least value in small, impersonal changes and thus often find themselves to act against specific institutions. And that's that's a mouthful. What do um what do you think about that, Sheila? I mean, that's said a lot there. Um, I guess that is true. I think I think radical feminists and those who have the most radical politics are the ones most likely to get personally attacked. I do think that is true. Absolutely. If you sail below the radar and are reasonably liberal in what you're saying, it does uh, protect you from all of that. I think that's true. I just wanted to, to say something else, though, about the way in which trashing takes place. Um, in the 1980s, trashing took a particular form in the UK, which was to use what were called at that time identity politics, which is those who sought to trash other women and bring them down or gain power within informal groupings would use accusations of classism or racism. And the accusations of racism often came from white women, and it did gain them positions of power within organizations. It was enormously harmful. It destroyed our national newsletters. It destroyed the lesbian archive in London. Um, and it was so clever because it couldn't be seen as personal attacks. It was all seen as being 
very political, very progressive, but it, it does fit with the last quote in saying that it's not, a, it's not about changing the world because these were not attacks on classism and racism in the world, the structures of patriarchy. They, they were attacks being used at women who were seen as leaders and at women that, um, that, you wanted, that some women wanted out or to overturn within groups and organizations. I don't, I know that happened in the States as well, uh, but I think not as early as these papers, it was more in the late 70s, and 80s that class and race became the means of attack. It's not quite the same now. Uh, it's right-wingness that is, the, is used to attack women now. It's all, do you work with the right wing? This is the main form of attack. So that's interesting. It's not class and race, it's are you right wing? It, that may be the case because there's not really a left anymore. The context in which the politics of feminism are being um, worked out is different today. Uh, class and race perhaps are not seen as so significant anyway. So it's all about, are you right wing? Are you right wing? Um, there's, I, I'm going to get to you, Joe, in a minute, but um, one of the things I uh, wanted to mention is that um, um, just went out of my head. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, so um, I would add to that. There's a bit, there's a, if anyone's interested in this area, I would read this Pure Lust by Mary Daly, 1986. Yeah. Now, on page 67, she talks about horizontal violence that she calls it, but she also calls it maso-sadistic politics <coughs> and horizontal violence. And she says that um, horizontal violence um, uses, uh, and, and she says, it just to follow up what Sheila's just says, I, she says Mary Daly saying, I refer specifically to the irrational and mind-binding conversion of terms such as racist, classist and elitist into labels that function to hinder rather than foster the movement race of women. Now, she goes into a lot of detail about the how um, horizontal violence or trashing works. And she uses she's got this seven point analysis of uh, the, the uh, sort of misogynistic um, hatred of women crazes like foot binding, sati, the witch hunts. And she applies that and she says that you can use those those methods to discuss trashing. And it's the use of this basic hatred of uh, women that is used by other women in a bit this self-hatred, but hatred towards women. Um, underlying all of that and then so there's that which is really interesting and definitely worth looking at and then going back to the the book the the paper we're looking at thing I thought was really interesting is um, Joe Freeman says the tactics of being horrible to women are traditional but the virulence is not and a point she Freeman makes in this paper is that when you get trashed there's a feeling that it's other than just criticism or people trying to make the organization better or to give you feedback. There's a, a virulent sort of uh, self-righteous rage. I'm putting those words self, she says virulence, but the self-righteous like sort of like they know they're right, they've got to tell you and they've got to somehow destroy you. And I've, I've felt that often with people attacking me and having this self-righteous rage. And it's, it is really distressing when somebody knows so that they're so right and that it is their duty to 
um to tell you you're wrong but in a very it's they're they're absolutely livid and they're also self-righteous and just when i was reading this again thinking it's actually quite like some of the woke the trans trans rights activists women those ones they have that same self-righteous rage that comes from them believing that we're doing something very 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 bad and wrong and that also happens in trashing and i thought that's quite interesting so i'm going to think about that a bit um, I remember what I was going to say. It was a, a, a question um, about, uh, you know, women, was it, um, um, tr- you know, treating women um, this way. And and one of the um, one of the analogies or one of the you know kind of examples that I that I like that I think is very apt is um, of women in a POW camp. Um, that we are prisoners of war because it's a war. We are at war. Um, and in POW camps, there are trustees, um, people who are prisoners and are like co-opted by the, uh, by the guards and by the, by the camp administration to, to, you know, keep the rest of the prisoners in line. And they're given, you know, really a, a modicum of privileges and, you know, and maybe more food for, for doing so. Um, and that, you know, that analogy to me is, is very, very, very telling because that's, I mean, I, I, you know, I feel like that's what some women are doing um, when they do not support other women. My goal is, you know, liberation and, and prioritization of women above all. That, that is my goal. Um, that, is, that is, you know, a big you know, part of the foundation of my feminism. Um, but we're, you know, we're all like prisoners um, and, and some of us want to be trustees or um, in, you know, if you want to think of Aunt Lydia, that, that's fine as well. Um, and I, you know, and, and there was a question or a comment in the, uh, in the chat about how we all, you know, we're all trauma informed. I don't know that I want to call it trauma informed or not, but I know anybody who's like in a prison, stuck in a prison um, is going to be affected by that. And we have agency, but all our decisions are made in the context of being in that POW camp? And do we want to be one of the trustees or do we want to just help all the other prisoners to escape? Um, and, and there was another question in the chat about, do we have, you know, these women who are being really vicious, like those, the women, you know, the, tra- the women trans activists who are really, really vicious and vindictive and, and just want to destroy you. Um, it, we're working for them too. I think we really are. And I'm not going to invite them over for tea or anything like that. But ultimately, um, they're one of the prisoners that we want to help escape. Um, any final um, comments? Yeah, I just want to say, uh, Sheila had something she was going to mention about Flo Kennedy. You ah, had a couple okay. of quotes, yeah, didn't you, like, Sheila? I don't know if, so we wanted yeah. to, I'd like to hear that. There's a slide if you want to. Oh, I'll get it. I'll get the slide up. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Joe Freeman wasn't the only one who was writing about um, the these issues of how we organize. Uh, Flo Kennedy was an amazing black activist. She was a lawyer, um, very, very significant in the ways that the question <coughs> about organizing um, in black politics and women's politics. And she was the one who originated the concept of horizontal hostility, which I think has been one of the most important for me in understanding what goes on within feminism. And she says, horizontal uh, hostility may be expressed in sibling rivalry or in competitive dueling, 
which wrecks not only office tranquility or suburban domesticity, but also some radical political groups. And it must be sadly said, some women's liberation groups, it's misdirected anger that rightly should be focused on the external causes of oppression. Now, I understood it, and it's often been explained in terms of black on black violence um, in New Jersey, for instance, young black men killing other young black men. That's horizontal hostility because um, it's too dangerous to fight the white oppressors, but you can kill other young black men in the same way that women can attack other women in women's groups. So it's about directing hostility horizontally instead of towards those who are actually sitting on your head. Um, and I think, I, I just think she needs to be acknowledged as the originator of that phrase. Thank you. Um, thanks everybody for being here. We're, uh, we're out of time. This is really wonderful. We could talk some more um, and uh, for women. Great. I think we, we are. We've, we've gone one minute over time, so we're going to have to end. Um, bye, everybody. Happy Christmas. See you in two weeks' time. Yeah. No, is it two weeks? We've got two weeks off. We've got, so it's in three weeks' time. See you in three weeks, everybody. <laughs>